Welcome to the Humans of Nutrition podcast brought to you by Nutrition Talent, a consultancy and recruitment company specialising in the provision of nutrition expertise. I'm Dr Danielle McCarthy. And I'm Anna Wheeler. This podcast delves into the world of nutrition to help unlock ideas and collaborative action so that everyone can thrive. Before we start this episode, we just wanted to add a quick note to explain that this was actually recorded during the very short time that Liz Truss was the Prime Minister, so before Rishi Sunak came into post. So do keep that in mind as you're listening to the recording. Um, Again, it just demonstrates how very fast politics can move and, of course, how that can also have a massive impact on health policy. We are very excited to be chatting with Jenny Rosborough today. Jenny is a nutritionist with what I would describe as a very front-facing career. She is a real custodian and campaigner for healthy food environments and a spokesperson that holds food system stakeholders to account. Currently head of nutrition at Jamie Oliver Limited, previously a campaign manager at Action on Sugar and prior to that senior nutritionist and programme developer of the MEND programme, an evidence-based weight management, treatment and prevention programme for families. So Jenny has had lots of breadth to her career and this is a conversation we have really been looking forward to. Hi Jenny, it's great to have you here on the, the podcast today. So whereabouts are you joining us from? I'm out of sorry. I'm very happy to be joining you both for this chat today. So thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm super excited because you know when I think change maker, that is you, you know, the, the campaigning and the champion for nutrition and, and getting it up on the agenda across the board and across the sector, you know, you do that so well. So, you know, I'm so excited to kind of understand a little bit more about what drives you and your experience of that type of a role in nutrition. So your blend of eloquence and assertiveness at the same time, whilst also using the evidence base is just something really, really special. And you know, for you, I guess, what, what are the topics that you're really, really passionate about right now? That You know, if, if you could get the world to hear them, what are those things that are driving you at the minute, Jenny? Where to start? So I think, you know, broadly it is about improving the food system, reducing the health inequalities. I just really realised I was going into nutrition all those years ago that my job would end up being so political. But I think, you know, what I've learned throughout is that it is really important to have that kind of policy head as well when coming into nutrition just because there are so many inequities throughout the food system and that really need to be resolved if we want the population to be moving towards a healthier diet. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what? It's something growing up in Northern Ireland, I avoided politics as much as I possibly could. And it's kind of now at this late stage in my career, you know, I'm I'm thinking, no, it's so important. And it's so, so important that I guess the evidence gets talked about, but in a way that people can understand so that the action can happen. And there, there's so much you could argue at times in action in different places but there's so much potential for action so I think it's about how how do we bridge those gaps in terms of not being fearful to make a small step of progress with an you know without that pressure of a huge expectation for a difference but what's that next step and just making sure that everybody moves forward across the sector I guess is key yeah definitely I think both kind of being realistic about some of those small incremental steps and celebrating each of those is, is really important because I think you know with my more policy hat on at the moment it's a really frustrating time we're asking government to regulate the food system a bit more and the whole point of that is to make change feasible for companies and um, there's more of a level playing field and to essentially make the healthier more nutritious food more accessible whereas 
currently at the moment there's a lot more focus on promoting definitely the spotlight is on the less healthy foods that's what companies you know easier for them to get people to buy those types of foods so we're trying to get a bit more balanced but thing is lots of policies being unfairly conflated with cost of living which is obviously something we really need to take into account now as well that's going to impact nutrition and just a, a new government that's got even less appetite for change and for an equitable food system and reducing health inequalities than even you know previous leadership which is shocking in itself so i would say that it, it's been quite a frustrating time but also remembering that over the last few years we have managed to get health policies health promoting policies for children policies that are looking at helping to reduce the levels of child obesity have been much more on the agenda than they have been ever before and even from central governments and not just from the department of health so that's a positive thing but you know the, the policies within that kind of whole strategy if you're looking at what we're at with marketing restrictions or promoting healthier are quite frustrating i would say a long way to go keep us busy yeah a long way to go and, and and you're right you know that whole focus on the negative the potential negative components and nutrients without much attention to what's positive and how can everybody get access to those positive pieces and what's what are the barriers that are in place to stop that access and and, and not just assuming that it's an unwillingness to go there you know it's so much more complicated than that that is worrying in terms of what you say about about the new government you know especially when we think of covid and where we know the increased risk was associated with obesity and you know it kind of shocks me actually to hear you you know hear and, and even think that actually from a government perspective health would not be top of the agenda and preventative health care at that so you know wh- why is that like have you got any indications of other things other other agendas what's going on there's a big focus on growth which makes it which is it you know important it makes a lot of sense but that's economic growth and the mechanism it seems one of the mechanisms for that is around deregulating businesses but that's completely nonsensical in my perspective because if you deregulate business then no one has incentive to change, no one has the ability to change. So regulation makes it economically viable for businesses to raise their standards and do that collectively. Obviously a healthy population is also related to a flourishing economy, you know, you need well people to have a, a good economy. So there's there's lots of short termism, is that even a word? <laughs> in our government. Short term thinking, you know, Prime ministers come in, they need to be popular, they need to keep their their seats, that's what it's all about. And so there's this whole concept of if you try and regulate, then that's nanny state and that's interfering with, you know, people's life. But that's under the assumption that we all have this, you know, endless amounts of autonomy with what we eat and this whole concept around choice, which is so hugely flawed because we don't all have equal choice. You know, what we eat depends on time, it depends on finances, it depends on lots of other social factors as well. So it's all under the guise of, you know, this economic growth, which will eventually then come around to benefit everyone. But it actually, if you look at it kind of scientifically and from an economic perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And if I could just give one quick example of that, there was a U-turn, and this is by Boris Johnson, a few months ago, when he was trying to save popularity, cling on to his seat of a, a policy which was looking to shift price promotions onto healthier versus less healthy food. Now, that was tackling things like buy one, get one free. So the whole government argument was you can't do that in a cost of living crisis when, you know, it's, it's making food uh, more affordable for people. But that is completely and utterly untrue. Like what 
shown to happen if they are those fog off deals is we end up spending about, I think it's 20% more than we had planned. So we buy more, we eat more, depending on what type of food, you can waste more as well. It's not saying we don't buy half the amount the next time we go. And a very obvious kind of way to understand that is that supermarkets are not charities, they're there to earn money, and it's a marketing strategy. So it's really difficult to campaign for some of these important issues when essentially the government will kind of put out a message of we're protecting the population in a cost of living crisis, when actually it's doing nothing to support that. Yeah, it's fascinating, you know, and, and that that focus on economic growth. And I think, you know, there is that understanding that we should be focusing on the triple bottom line, you know, social value, environmental value, all of these things as well. And and that seems to, you know, to, to quote you, that the short termism, you know, in the longer term, we need to address accessibility to better behaviours to protect our planet as well as our people. 100%. You know, it's... We need, it's, a, um, we need a leader who is willing to put in policies in place that's not going to get an immediate pat on the back, but down the line has truly kind of changed, you know, whether it's yeah, nutrition and health or the environment, sustainability is really, really key. Yeah, well, so thinking about you and your role, and I find it fascinating and, and actually really encouraging that you can blend your campaigning and policy side with a commercial role as head of nutrition at Jamie's you know what does that involve and how how do you make that work in terms of what you're striving for in a commercial setting with that other context around you which is about driving that you know better policy good question yeah so my, my role at Jamie's is super broad from a nutrition perspective so obviously we look at product development but also developing social media, online, we've got the campaign side of things. Yeah, lots going on there, which does require a whole breadth of kind of nutrition skills, which I think makes the job really, really interesting. But blending it all together, I just look at it as it's kind of one of those jobs where the rubber hits the road. You know, you've got you've got all these ideas and then you're also having to implement them as well. And I've definitely evolved from idealist <laughs> to realist throughout my career, which is good. And, you know, it's about meeting... You know, meeting people where they're at, but also raising the standards of that and doing that kind of slowly and gradually is, I think, really, really important. So it's obviously great to have a leader that is passionate about all these issues as well. But I do think that it is tricky for nutritionists in, in commercial roles, but remembering that that's where a lot of the change happens. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and we, we've seen that across, certainly across our careers as well and, and in, in the work that I've done with the Nutritionists and in Industry Network. But thinking about that a bit more, I mean, obviously, we are hearing from our, our colleagues who are working in industry at the moment, you know, how much, obviously, you know, stretch there is at the moment within organisations with, with costs in general. So do you have any particular advice for how we can really all try to keep health top of the agenda when in such a difficult situation at the moment? Yeah, that is a good question. It's definitely a consideration as well. And it keeps coming back to, you know, good good health is good for good business as well. So I think yeah. that's, you know, an overall line. But I think a lot of what we focus in as well is that we, do, we are asking for those policies that create that level playing field for businesses. So that, as I said before, like everyone is moving at the same time, that makes it a lot more economically viable. And obviously there are ingredient issues and costs and everything like that. And inflation is a big part of the conversation at the moment. But as far as kind of gradually changing the nutritional conversation, 
parapet by yourself, that doesn't really work. You need everyone to kind of yeah. work together. So I think a lot of the responsible companies is, is, are asking for that regulation. And I think that's what I continue to do in my role as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's but... a bit like, you know, if you're playing a sports... Oh, sorry, Anna, if you're if you're playing a sports game, you know, we all need consistent rules to be able to really play that game exceptionally well. And I guess it's when, you know, if I think of my kids, if there's any kind of leeway within that, then, you know, chaos can happen and you don't necessarily even finish the game. So, you know, I guess that's what it is. It's understanding, like, what's our field of play here? And let's then innovate as best as we possibly can be in a competitive way but in a way that's got clarity and consistency so as if you're planning for the longer term within a company you know what that's like you know um and you know what your your competitive set are, pl- are playing within that too whereas it's so hard to make those business decisions if you don't know what that landscape's going to be and you're always going to have competitors that are not necessarily pulling the same levers that are costing you time and resource to pull so you know it makes complete sense in terms of that that experience of, of getting that level playing field and consistency across across the system really yeah, and that's, I think, particularly important at the moment as well when we're, we're, you mentioned the new government coming in and obviously we don't quite know, you know, what those, what that level playing field is going to be when it comes to some of the legislation over the next year or two. So it's a watch this space scenario. But you mentioned a bit about, you know, working on new product development projects. You know, how do you tackle that, you know, inconsistency or uncertainty within, within your own role? That's a really good question as well because actually I think businesses with all this kind of these policies that are set to come into place so marketing that was meant to be shifted towards um, more healthier products and reducing marketing on these less healthy products and that was going to be extended to a nine care watershed and also across online we have like i mentioned the some of the promotional activity in supermarkets as well around the bog off that was meant to be coming into play and they've both been delayed by a year and like, aside from my role, I mean, we are asking for these policies and obviously want to continue to implement as much as possible regardless. But speaking to a lot of businesses, businesses are frustrated by this. Like, I think the government often yeah. thinks that they're doing the businesses a big favour and they're on side with the businesses. But businesses are like, we spent a fortune on, you know, starting to implement all these policies and doing all the work for it. You know, it wouldn't make sense for them to kind of backtrack about that. So I think there's a lot of frustration across the board. And... So the way that our government consistently changes is the most harmful thing, you know, for policy setting. And you, you all both know this as well, from having worked in the nutrition field for, for so long. It, yeah, it's a constant frustration. It's like a merry-go-round. It's very stop-start, I think, some of our work. Yeah, absolutely. And it is very difficult when advising clients on, on NPD at the moment. Obviously, we're all, you know, striving whenever possible to to meet the new the new criteria that are in place. But... You know, sometimes in order to get that investment from companies, you do need that little push. So it's it's certainly a challenging time out there at the moment. Yeah. But another thing that we've we've seen from your Instagram feed, which, you know, we've spoken a little bit about this at the moment, but just to quote your feed, you say that we're stuck in a cycle of producing and consuming food that largely isn't sustainable or healthy. And the idea that this cycle can be broken through individual willpower is misunderstood and scientifically flawed. You know, this is such a strong statement and, you know, one I think that we would probably agree with, but, you know, what would your advice be to, to help us to break this cycle? Have you got any learnings, particularly from your delivery of public health campaigns that we could use to, to make positive change happen? Yeah, I think, yeah, it was a bit bold. 
that's great. That's what we need. We need bold, bold <laughs> communications out there. The reason why I feel so strongly about this is because I think the complexities of what we, why we, you know, gaining weight, all of those things are so wildly misunderstood. And I get very frustrated in conversations with my smart, caring, lovely friends. You know, when they when they will oversimplify it. I get frustrated in those conversations. Well, that person chooses what they're eating. And then I'm like, okay, I just don't think we're doing a good enough job at explaining the complexities. So, you know, there are so many factors that contribute to what we eat beyond just kind of making that choice. I've already said I do have a bit of an issue with just using that word choice so freely, like we all have equal choice. So I think that we really need to help people understand, you know, that for a start. There was evidence out a year or two ago from Cambridge Uni that did a big review and found that over the last 30 odd years there were 14 health promoting strategies related to reducing population levels of obesity. Almost 700 policies and obviously we haven't really seen much change. Now sometimes there's backlash because people will say you know well there's been these policies and there's no change therefore they don't work and try and undermine those policies. There are people that don't want them. When the reality of it is they weren't implemented well or at all they haven't really been properly evaluated and they predominantly focus on education so we know that education is really important and i don't want to make it sound like we don't have any autonomy at all it's just being realistic about the amount that we have so yeah i think that really for me it's explaining to people you know all of those complexities i think that possibly that will help and bringing in you know experience as well from my more public health education days and I was working at a programme called MEND which was looking at behaviour change programmes with children and their families for a healthier lifestyle. I kind of had this, this thought around the fact that it was great for families who were walking through the door. They were motivated, they were attending, they had the means to do that but they did have challenges, their own challenges in making some of the changes and that might be to do with cost, affordability, time etc. But then there are always also these families that aren't walking through the door tool and how do you make public health changes that benefit everyone because not everyone has the luxury of being engaged in you know what they're eating to the level of how nutritious is that it's like how quick is that how affordable is that is my child going to eat it so yeah i suppose not going on in my mind there but particularly i think we need to be better at kind of pulling people into these issues and helping them understand why we're asking for what we're asking for yeah jenny do you know you yeah lots of buzz stuff there in my brain in terms of what you know couldn't agree more in terms of you know that the gap that can exist between policy and in, in a way you know is policy ambition and then how do we put it into practice and you know certainly from experience within you know commercial roles as well as experience from a researcher perspective at, at Queen's University at the moment you know I would say there's there is, there's ambition. And if we can get that into policy, fabulous. But then it's how on earth do we implement it and implement it in ways that everybody can access it. And so say you know, some of the stuff we've done in schools is really showing the benefit of not just food provision, but environments and in, in pr the provision of healthy environments around food and how that can really impact not just the physical nourishment that a child has, but their quality of life, their emotional well-being, their behaviour, as well as, and as I say, changing what they actually eat and, and the variety in which they eat within that circumstance. But, you know, a 
what I'm really passionate about is taking that research and implementing it at scale. So then when you work with those people who endeavor every single day within community organizations, within school canteens to really try their very best in many different ways to implement a great food environment and great food choice, there are resource challenges there. There are technical challenges. There's human resource challenges massively within that whole school system, you know, coming out of COVID and things. So, so I guess it's, you know, are there, are there specific collaborations that you've seen really work to try and, you know, you use the word about, you know, rubber on the road, you know, really trying to show that actually, yes, there are all of those challenges, but how can people working together really try and address some of them? So as small but forward steps are made, you know, just any, any examples you've got in terms of, of what works well there? Because I think that, that you've hit the nail on the head, you know, when it comes to what those big challenges are for implementation yeah i mean i think it's really great you get such good examples of you know really good practice on the ground and sometimes we talk about everything so negatively it looks like there's nothing good going on and there is and there's that's down to you know really brilliant smart dedicated caring people making that happen i always bring this back to policy then because i'm like that that ends up you know where some of the health inequalities occur because some places really good things are happening Sometimes the government, you know, if you shout about those too much, you want to inspire others in a school situation, as an example, then government will see that as, oh, look, they can look after themselves. Everyone just needs to see what they're doing, and then that's not always possible. So in terms of collaboration, I don't know if this is the answer you're looking for, but what we have found really useful, and this has been missing in research massively, is much more those lived experience voices. So the Food Foundation have been doing great work in having that big lived experience panel. We have Fight Back, who I work alongside, Fight Back 2030, which is a coalition of young people and kind of, you know, advocating for a healthier and fairer food system and really explaining what it's like in through their lens. Having these voices really brings some of those things to life. And, you know, with the school food issue is really prominent at the moment, especially, I mean, it has been for years, but with the cost of living conversation going on, there's new research being published showing 800,000 children in this country are going hungry because of the gap in eligibility criteria. So the, the eligibility criteria for a free school meal is really low. Cost of living is obviously increased. There's a massive gap there where there's lots of children in between that aren't getting any support but also can't afford proper you know, school lunches. So hearing the collaborations of hearing Absolutely. You know, one of my fun, like, I guess, most ins inspirational days at work was, you know, a day of focus groups with women in a local women's centre and how they are every day together solving their issues when it comes to food access and cooking and, and what their aspirations are. And, oh, I couldn't hear you more in terms of those women have the answers. We need to, you know, give them the tools that others have to really try and think about okay so how do we scale those answers and make them available to all in terms of you know sustainable approaches to food and all the rest of it's all there there's so much there but just traditionally i guess in how we have approached the generating the evidence base and then how that feeds into policy it hasn't necessarily included all that lived experience but hopefully that is changing in terms of that whole focus of engaged research so 
here's hoping that, as you said, those lived experiences form part of our evidence base going forward. And so uh, amazingly, quickly, we have come to towards the end of our time with you, Jenny. It's been fascinating, really fascinating to hear, you know, your side of and your, your point of view on some of the challenges, but also hearing, you know, some of that positivity as well coming through. But sort of on that note, obviously, there are so many challenges at the moment. It is such a complex situation out there. And as you know, we are all about understanding the humans behind our profession. So how do you personally remain positive and upbeat and, you know, resilient? You know, I think resilience is something that a lot of nutritionists learn throughout their career. But, you know, how do you do it personally? Well, I don't know if I do. <laughs> I oh, I think you've given us lots of examples of how you do. I, I, do you know what? The way I see this is kind of you're on the roller coaster. And then, and you don't really get off to so whether that's through governmental changes or, you know, trying to change, whether you're trying to change something in a, at a smaller scale within a company or whether you're trying to do that on a broad scale with policies. I keep going along for the ride. And but personally, what I have found so useful is firstly a coalition of public health organisations that we work as part of. That's really, really useful. There's so many people as part of that, and everyone going on the journey at the same time. and you just keep, you know, hitting the next challenge, but you've got that support network, so that's brilliant. Yeah. Secondly, I think the nutrition network is really good as well. Like the work you guys are doing is amazing, and you know, pulling people together and raising awareness, you know, through your podcast, your website, and social media. I think is really, really good. It's nice to have somewhere to go that really helps with kind of bringing that group of people together. So I really value the network of nutrition. Definitely. And it's it's really great to hear that. And I think obviously as a big part of why we set up Nutrition Talent in the first place is to really, really build that nutrition community. And, and obviously with some of the other networks that you and I are both, well, all three of us are a part of, you know, with Sense and, and Nutritionists and Industry, all of those groups are so very supportive and we are all striving towards the same goals. And interestingly, when we do work with universities as well and we ask nutrition students, you know, why have you come into this profession? You know, what is it you're excited about when it comes to your nutrition career? Helping people and really driving that positive change is an answer that comes up time and time again. So we all have that in, in common. I think we're all quite positive, sort of naturally resilient people anyway, which is, you know, fabulous, fabulous to, to hear. So thank you so very, very much, Jenny, for your time. It's been brilliant chatting with you. I think we could have extended this for another hour or two, so maybe we'll have to do this again another time. But thank you so much, and hopefully we'll see you in real life before too long. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Humans of Nutrition podcast, proudly brought to you by Nutrition Talent. Nutrition Talent is a consultancy and recruitment company specialising in the provision of nutrition expertise. For more information about us and how we could work together, check out nutritiontalent.com.